a good one for you today. It's one that's been a very, very hot topic in our office this week. All of our advisors have been buzzing around and talking about it. Um, and that is the difference between not going broke and becoming wealthy, because those are two very, very different things. The difference between offense and defense, I think. <laughs> right. The, the conversation started because we were really focused on what's going on with conventional financial advice, right? It's There's a lot of advice out there that we think is really centered around not going broke, right? I mean, it's right. about living within your means and setting a budget. And we think all those things are really good as a starting place. But at some point, once you realize you're not going to be broke, you have to start graduating into something that you know, gives you more possibilities. Right. Well, that it's the, it's the phrase I've asked my wife a number of times in a number of different scenarios, but is this it? Is this, is this all we're doing? Like, is this, <laughs> we, we're not going to progress any more beyond this, right? Uh, yeah. It's a, you know, I think that um, one of the things that comes up a lot of times in our client meetings is people ask, why haven't I heard of this before? Or if this is so great, why isn't everyone doing it? Right. Um, and, and why isn't this something that everyone is looking to? And there's a bunch of different, I don't know, I've got a lot of opinions on that particular topic, but I think that part of what happens is when we look at kind of a conventional life right? It's that you work your nine to five and you do that until you're 65, 67, 70 years old, whenever you're ready to take your social security and you've been maxing out your 401k the whole time. And everybody tells you that you're going to live on less than what you were living on during your working lifetime. And to me, that entire philosophy is about living a life that is less than your potential, Right? right. It's about getting on that hamster wheel and then just continuing to run on that hamster wheel. And by the time you get off, you're old and you're tired and you're like, well, I'm not going to do anything anyway. So you just minimize it. And that, that to me, I look at that. And if that's what you want from your life, that's great. You can follow a conventional plan. But I think if what you really want is freedom of time and the ability to do exciting things, not just in the future, but right now, you really have to take an unconventional approach to your money because with a conventional approach, you're going to get what everybody else is getting. And so if you want something different, you have to look through a completely different paradigm. Yeah. And I, and I think it actually goes to two quotes that run around in my brain kind of all day long. And one is that I got from your dad, from Lou Holtz of, I'm convinced that God didn't put us on this earth to be average. And, mm -hmm. I, and I keep thinking about that one. And then the other one is, the definition of hell is meeting the person you could have become on your deathbed. And it's like both of these quotes sort of like pinging around in my brain all day long. And when I'm thinking about like financial planning and I'm thinking about the client across the room and I'm, I'm thinking about a client we had a conversation with just yesterday of, I don't want to have to worry about money anymore. I don't want to have to scrimp and save every penny that I've got. I want to go spend time with my kids because they're getting older and I'm missing these moments, but I feel like I got to be at the office all day long. And it's like, but you could you could see that he wants to go do more, be more, but he like he doesn't have a path. He's like, but I, but I don't know what else to do. Well, and I think that happens regardless of what you're earning, right? I mean, Absolutely. whether you're making sixty thousand dollars a year or you're making six hundred thousand dollars a year, because we had this conversation just yesterday um, with a gentleman who is a really high earner and very very successful. 
And, um, you know, he, he kind of confided in us that he spends a lot of time all day long in a place of fear of not having enough money. And when we asked him, what do you really, really want from your life? He was like, well, when I retire, I want to do things with my wife and kids. And I mean, you remember my question. It was, what about right now? Yeah. Your kids are young right now. Yeah. I'm like, right now your kids are young. You can build all these memories with them. And um, he's like, I just haven't done any of that because I'm terrified that I won't have enough. Right. So it's all deferral of gratification, which I've been a victim of myself, um, especially in the recent past. Um, But there's there it's I don't know. I hate to use the word balance because I don't think you ever truly get to a state of balance in life. But I think what happens is, you know, he, all the planning that that particular gentleman has done to this point has been very conventional. And so when he's looking at, okay, I have to save so much money and I still am not going to be able to, you know, do the things that I want to do. There's a lack of motivation there. And I, I think we're sold this story of, you know, just stay in your place and, you know, be, be comfortable. Yeah. As opposed to like really taking the time to design a life that you're excited about. And I'm real stuck on this idea of living a life of design, not a life of default. Well, but that's what he was doing. I mean, it was very, very, very not default necessarily because he's a hard worker. I mean, that guy is killing it. Uh, But he's burning the candle at both ends. And I, and I, I think about a conversation we had with uh, my wife and I had is like, look, we need to go spend time with our kids now because they actually like us right now. Like <laughs> right. in a couple of years, they're going to have nothing to do with us because they've got friends and cars and they're, they're out, they're on their own to some extent, right? They, they come home to get food and clothes wash, but that's about it. Right. But right. like, why well, I don't want to wait until I'm old until I get to like spend time with them. Like I've got this magic moment right now that I got, I can't miss. Right. Right. And that, that to me is why you have to start looking at things very differently because, you know, when we started asking him it, again, it goes back to that question of if money is no object, what's different about your life, right? Right. If you win the lottery, what changes immediately? Once you identify what those changes are, I think the first step is really, okay, how do I get to those things? And if the path you're on, you can't see a clear way that you can have the things you want in the timeline that you would like to have them. You have to start exploring other things, right? right. And I, I think I think part of the issue is the system, right? And you and I have talked about this a lot, is that we have to remember that financial institutions are in business to make money, right? And so right. At a you're, you're level. in Right. Your individual financial advisor may be in it in part because, yes, it's their job, right? But maybe they want to make a big impact or, you know, they want to see things done well. I find that most of the people in this business are highly ethical, right? But they're not always highly educated in terms of the possibilities. What they do have a good education about is what they're supposed to sell, from their broker dealer or the insurance company they work for or whatever it is, right? Most of the education about building a financial plan comes from financial institutions. And I would say that that bias even like finds its way into academic environments as well, because a lot of those programs are sponsored by and, you know, that the people coming out of those programs are recruited by financial institutions. And so, 
you know, if you remember at a high level that the job of any financial institution is to create profit, the tools that they are going to teach their salespeople how to sell are the tools that are going to create the most benefit and the most profit for the financial institution. Right. Well, and so, yeah. and, and the education is frequently in my experience, very one-sided, right? Here's all oh the possibilities. Gosh. And I'm like, but where are the gotchas? Show me the gotchas, right? Like I need to, where does this fail? How do I exit this? You know? Well, and it's, it reminds me of the sort of the Hippocrates, the, Hi the Hippocratic oath, right? Do no harm. And it's like, okay, well, they're, they're not, That's not enough. It's not enough, right? It's not, we're not going far enough into it. And, I, and my, my dad is, has been in the industry. He, he was, uh, he was a PNC guy, property and casualty guy for a long, long, long time and, and worked for a, a very famous name that everyone would know. And part of what they did was they sold life insurance, but the, the variety of insurance that they sold uh, is highly anathema to what kind of we teach and what we believe. And I kind of walked him through what was going on and what we're seeing. And I'm like, dad, why did you sell this? Like, do you see how this is collapsing and how this is not doing good for the clients? He's like, we didn't know. Like, right. they, we, I had no idea. Like, I, I didn't know that this was going to happen. They just said, hey, this is what it looks like. Here's how it works. This is going to be amazing. It's going to lower their, their costs. And nobody walked through the, wait, 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 here's how it breaks. Um, right. Well, this goes to like a, a broader issue, right? I mean, I remember... Um, being at an event one time and um, the whistleblower from the Enron scandal was the speaker. And um, I had purchased a table and I had an open seat. And so she ended up sitting right next to me at my table. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I got to ask all kinds of questions, but, you know, she spent a lot of time talking about the fact that she kept raising her hand saying something was wrong and all of her peers and her immediate managers and even the managers a couple levels up kept telling her someone else has done the research. They know how this works. You're just a low level employee. Put your head down and do the work. Right. right. And so even though she was very loud and very vocal within the company, you know, it was really there were a lot of people just not listening because they were making the assumption that someone else has already done the research and this works and it's been vetted. And I, I think that's, that's part of the problem that we have right now is that sometimes we hear the same thing over and over and over again. And when there's a one person vocally dissenting, we dismiss it because there are so many people who are saying, no, this is the way you do it. Right. And this is a silly kind of analogy or story, but it's kind of like, if you, if you, did your research way back when in the 1400s, is the world flatter, is the world round? There's a consensus of opinion. All the right. experts are going to tell you the world is flat. And it's not until you do the experiment that you can realize, oh, the world is actually round. And even then, it took a really long time for most people to come to the conclusion, right, that the world is round. And there are still people who aren't sure if that's true today, right? right. And so- when you, when you look at how long it really takes people to change their mind from the consensus of opinion, even when something that is an obvious truth is right in front of them, there's, there's a difficulty in doing that because we don't like to be different. We are, we are creatures that like community. And so right. if we see that we're the lone ranger, that makes us very uncomfortable and it feels dangerous, even if it's actually safer and there's potentially much more opportunity. And so oh, I think- yeah. I think understanding that, right, it's a lot easier 
if I think about our job, it would be a lot easier for me to spend 15 to 30 minutes with a client and sell them a mutual fund portfolio and be done with it. Just gather the assets and collect the fees like that. That seems very easy. But you think about our process, we spend anywhere from four to six hours with a client before they make any real decisions about what they want to do, because it is so education focused. Right. Yeah. Right? And it's that law of diffusion of innovation, right? We're, we're trying to sort of help them unlearn what they've learned, kind of set a different path and a different model in their brain. And then, okay, here's how you actually go achieve it. And it's a long process, right? I mean, it's... And at the beginning, it sounds weird, right? We, I, we, tell, we tell our people all the time, it's okay to be different. It's not okay to be weird. And at the beginning, it's a little weird. It's like, hey, all the problems you think you've been solving are the wrong problems to solve. Let's look at the world through a little bit different lens of, I just don't want you to go broke. That's not my mission. Not, the do no harm is not good enough. Right. right. We're trying to help you thrive. So, so talk some about this um, idea of hierarchy of wealth, because this is something that you brought up in conversation was it yesterday, the day before? Um, and yeah. I, I think it's really brilliant. And I think in terms of the framework, it's really actually helpful in determining where you are as an individual and how to take the next steps. Yeah. And so the the kind of the impetus behind it was this idea of the hierarchy of needs, sort of Abraham Maslow's sort of famous chart about, I need safety before I get self-esteem, before I become you know, a fully self-actualized human being, right? And so, you know, to your idea of most financial advisors are focused on how to help you not go broke. They're not really there to help you grow wealth. We started looking through that and that, that hierarchy of wealth really starts at the beginning of protection. I just got to make sure that nothing comes along that knocks me out of the game. Mm-hmm. So it's all the boring stuff, property and casualty insurance and health insurance and life, all of the kind of boring stuff that just- Disability keeps, insurance, emergency fund, all that kind of stuff. Right, all that kind of stuff, right? And then, and then really from that next level up is really what I would call the habit layer, right? Saving money, putting it aside, being able to have discipline, being able to kind of continue to build that, that moat, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then really it gets into what we've kind of talked about as sort of the core level. Right, the core where where you go from not going broke to thriving. Right, and if you've been listening, we've talked about this in terms of core and explore. Right, taking care of your core plan before you jump into exploring higher risk opportunity. Right, exactly. Right, and that core level really is that that combination and that coordinated asset structure of uh, investments, insurance, making sure that the investments are are fully diversified, not just from an asset level, but from a an approach or a style diversity, right? And really building out that core so that when you get ready to retire, we're focused on maximizing income and you're going to be great, right? You are going to be rocking and rolling and killing it. And, and you've got a solid, stable plan that, that is unshakable. And to your point about, uh, you know, a lot of business owners we've seen over the years, they keep shooting for the next level and shooting for the next level and let's go build this thing, but they never bother to actually build a plan that's going to survive no matter what. Right. And then some market event, some market dislocation comes along and wipes them out. Well, they never had the core. They, they never did right. the proper planning. Yeah, it's like building building out the framework for a house without laying the foundation first. And we exactly. see that so many times and people are like, I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path. And I'm like, woo, this reminds me of the three little pigs. Like at any point in time, <laughs> something's, something's going to huff and puff. It might be the economy, right? But but right. your house is going to fall down. And so I think that core level is really important. And I just want to, I want to go back to one thing you said about the insurance and the investments and taking care of income, because I think this really needs to be stressed. 
is that most people are entirely focused on rate of return, right? right? They just figure I'm going to grow this giant pool of assets and everything is going to be okay. And, and net worth is an easy measure, right? To be able to say, am I on track or not? But in my experience as an advisor, net worth is really a false sense of security because net worth fluctuates based on what the economy is doing. And, and typically the income your net worth can throw off in a healthy manner also fluctuates based right. on what the economy is doing. And none of us have control over the economy. And I'll just say, if you're listening and you think you do, let's have a conversation because I'd like to hire you. It would be really <laughs> helpful to have you on staff. That's right. but, uh, but I think understanding that your focus really has to begin to shift to, right? This is a part of being wealthy, not the don't go broke part, right? Right. Um, you have to shift your focus to the creation of income that supports your lifestyle. That has to be your primary objective. If your primary objective is net worth, what you're looking for is just a scorecard, but it doesn't necessarily give you predictability, security, and freedom to do all of the things that you want to do. And frequently when we talk to people, they have a net worth goal, right? And when we right. ask them what they think it throws off an in income, we can immediately pinpoint that they're being incredibly inefficient with their plan because they're settling for, I have to have a huge net worth to have a small amount of income when they could get there much more quickly, simply by focusing on income streams from the very beginning. So that core part that you're talking about I think is key because even if you don't want to actively truly engage and, and self-manage investments, if you just want an easy button for how do I get more efficient in income creation, that combination of insurance and investments is absolutely key. And once you've yep. laid that foundation, it becomes very easy to graduate to this next step in the hierarchy where it really becomes about building true wealth. And it's beyond just thriving and knowing that you're going to have a plan that can help you get where you're trying to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is that true launch pad that says I've done, I, I've built the moat. I've got all the habits and disciplines I've got I've, that I need. Uh, and I've got a good foundation for, for everything else that's going to come my way. And then once you've got that core down all the way down to the, to the, that foundational level, then you have the ability to go explore to really start doing wealth creation. And I almost think of it as, as sort of building out the tree. And then at some point you get to start planting, all these little leaves start showing up and you get to mm -hmm. every leaf is a different opportunity or a different idea. And if one leaf falls to the ground, it's like no big deal. We, we've got all these other ones. Yeah. I've got all these other ones and I've got the system that can create more leaves. Right. I, I, I built something that, that is truly sustainable. And so the, and the, the joke we had yesterday in our training classes, and, and you and I've had this conversation before is on the explore side, if there's any hint of what you're looking at, that has a, a FOMO um, component to it, like a fear it's of missing explore. out, it's explore, <laughs> like, right. you know, right where it goes. If it has a, this feels like adulting and not very exciting, that's core, right. Or core or, or a base level. Right. And so I think part of it is, is knowing that those things exist and where to put them. Right. Um, well, and I think just beyond the concept of this too, it's really important to be able to like do the math, right? Run the experiment so that the decisions you're making about your money aren't about opinions. They're really about the facts, right? And, and saying, if I do this in the way I'm doing it right now, what kind of income can I expect to have? right? And running those projections and then under an identical set of assumptions so that you're really comparing apples to apples, 
what happens if I hit the easy button and introduce the appropriate amount of insurance with the investments right. so that you can measure how your output materially changes, right? And then I think once you get that core part done, right, then we start looking at how do we supercharge the plan? And to me, that's where it gets even more exciting because once you hit that supercharge button, you can really begin to see, okay, how introducing the acquisition of cash flowing assets can change your income so that you can shave years off of your working lifetime and spend more time in retirement. Right. Or if you love what you're doing right now, just set yourself up for more income along the way and less pressure on yourself to earn so that you really do have that freedom. And so to that point, I, I think what we're probably going to do over the next couple of weeks is yeah. start introducing some case studies so that our listeners can see, okay, here's an individual, here's what we did, here's what their projections were, and here's what they are now based on hitting the easy button and then the introduction of how are they going to approach the supercharging side of things if that's what they're interested in. Because yeah. I think seeing what other people are doing and really beginning to understand how that's impacting their lives does make it makes it easier to know you're not the only person looking at something like this, but really that you can start to see the evidence, right? And you well, can start to see the impact. Yeah. And I think that that last part was really critical. And I know we're running low on time, so we'll, we'll wrap up here. But the, that part of that supercharging component of it is so powerful and exciting once you've laid the foundation. But having that conversation with clients is like, that sounds amazing. Tell me, give me some examples of what Explore looks like. Like right. where, where do we go? And so I think seeing what other people have done is sort of that spark of the imagination. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Why wouldn't you do that, right? And then, and then it starts to compound. And the, I, to me, the funnest part of this job is getting to see individual creativity come through on that Explore side of like what people get into. Right. Like, man, I found this great idea over here. And it's like, wow, that's that's flipping brilliant. I never would have thought yeah. about that, but you should totally do that. And I'm going to talk to that <laughs> to other people and, and use that as an example, but seeing everyone's creativity sort of come through once, because you see it come through when they're safe. Right. Just like Maslow's right. hierarchy of needs. I don't get to self-esteem until I'm safe. Right. right? I don't get to self-actualization. Like once they have that, it's like their brain opens up and they're like, you know what we could do. And then well, it's, I I see people moving from, I'm stressed out, I'm worried, I'm fearful, moving into a state of, I have the power to impact this situation and the decisions I make are going to create freedom and safety for me, regardless of what happens. And so yep. really, I think that understanding knowledge is power, right? But knowledge without action is worthless. Yep. And yeah. so we're, to me, that's almost a whole nother podcast, right? <laughs> what, what happens if you're just getting knowledge and aren't doing anything with it? Right. Um, but, but I think that could be at least an hour long conversation, knowing the two of us. So uh, we're going to, we're going to wrap up. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you. If you're looking for me, you can find me at the wealth woman on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and as Mary Kane Lyons on, um, on LinkedIn, Eric, where can they find you? So on Facebook and Instagram, I'm economics with Eric. And then on LinkedIn, I'm just Eric Alexander because I don't have any, I, mean, I don't need the cool there, but uh, that's where we are. Thanks guys. Bye. Mary Lyons and Eric Alexander are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of 
and securities offered through One America Securities Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Woman, Benchmark Income Group, and the Big Wealth Podcast is not an affiliate of One America Securities or the companies of One America and is not a broker-dealer or registered investment advisors. The use of asset allocation or diversification does not assure a profit or guarantee against a loss. Investing involves risk, which includes potential loss of principal. Provided content is for overview and informational purposes only and is not intended and should not be relied upon as individualized tax, legal, fiduciary, or investment advice. All numeric examples and any individual shown are hypothetical and were used for explanatory purposes only. Actual results may vary.